We want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church podcast with Pastor Terry Bailey. This podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries. Right now, let's get to Pastor Terry's insightful message. You've been here these last few weeks, you know, I'm working through some of the ministry of Elisha as we find it in the early chapters of Second Kings. I just feel that that's a neglected portion of Scripture. We, we neglect it for reasons, I suppose. The ministry of Elisha is weird, just for starters. Sometimes it seems a little arbitrary. Sometimes it seems a little harsh. I began with one of the harsh ones, that story about the bears and the boys in Bethel, and tried to help us all understand why that isn't the way that sometimes it gets portrayed, and to learn the key lesson, which is this. It is not the man of God that is the big deal. It is the God of the man who is the big deal. Elijah had departed. But the same God stood behind Elisha and would bless and empower this new ministry and every ministry that he calls. We proceeded from there to the miraculous calling of water into the desert for the confederation of the three kings and how Elisha was the man of God to speak to those kings at a crucial hour, especially to King Jehoshaphat, and to impress upon him that when the shepherd walks with God, the flock will be blessed. And we looked at the ways that Jehoshaphat did and and did not fully learn that lesson. I'm going to skip over some things today because I'm not going to take time to do every aspect of Elisha's ministry. One of the more familiar stories that I'll be skipping is the healing of Naaman, the Syrian, from his leprosy, dunking seven times in the Jordan River and all that. I will also skip over Elisha purifying the poisonous stew and with some regret I will leave out the Shunammite widow and her son to get to the story about the axe head that Mark read for us today. Uh, If you want to look ahead, I will back up after this to the widow's oil, and then one more after that to close out this series. But the axe head today. This took place in Gilgal, which is both a, a region and came to be a town. Gilgal, if you go back and read that part of the story, was the place where Joshua and the Israelites first crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And when they did, they set their sights immediately on the city of Jericho, because Jericho is the first large town near to the place where they made their crossing. And you know the story about the conquest of Jericho, so I won't rehearse that. But Jericho was destroyed in latter days. Jericho was rebuilt and re-inhabited. The city built on the actual mound or hill that Jericho occupied became so crowded there was no room left for further construction. And so little suburb areas like Gilgal sprang up. And if you look in the maps of the divided kingdom, if you see Jericho and Gilgal, you'll see they have trouble getting the two words together. The dots are so close together. This was the town of Gilgal. The region 
just a few miles distant where the Jordan actually flowed remained uninhabited. Cities that were meant to be defended in those days weren't built on the riverbank. Cities that meant not to be flooded in those days were not built on the riverbank. So the riverbank remains uninhabited and the big city of Jericho and the suburb of Gilgal are just a few miles away and the sons of, I should also say, Jericho and Gilgal are very far south in the northern kingdom. That is, they are part of the northern kingdom, but they are just just right off the border of the southern kingdom of Judah. Not very far to get across the border. The sons of the prophets had built themselves a hall in Gilgal where they could meet and coordinate and learn from their leader, Elisha. And they had come now to have some degree of confidence in Elisha. And their ministry had grown both in numbers and in prestige as they learned those first lessons that it wasn't all over just because Elijah had departed, that God had another man for this hour and that everything was taken care of in God's plan. Sons of the prophet had grown in numbers. And they look at this place where they live and one of them carries the consensus opinion to their leader, Elisha, this place before you is too small for us. Too limited. Now, I want you to hear in this more than just the hall that they were talking about. They're looking at their environs and they're thinking, you know, we're the big deal sons of the prophets now. We are growing, happening Thing. And we could get out of this urban sprawl. We could get out of this wicked, sinful environment. And it was a wicked, sinful environment. Jericho had not become a more righteous city in its second incarnation. And the northern kingdom as a whole was still given over to the worship of idols, to Baal and to those wretched golden calves that Jeroboam had set up in the very beginning. We could get out of this urban sprawl. We could get out of this wicked, sinful environment. And we could go down there where there's lots of room. And we could build us a place. That would be a change. Let's all go down to the Jordan. Let's cut down some trees. Square them up into beams. And build us a new place. Everyone who's ever done construction projects would ask at least one question. Well, couldn't we just add on to the place that we have? That did not seem to suit the sons of the prophet. Why that location? Well, perhaps reasons I have indicated and some others, but know that they not only wanted a bigger building, they wanted out of Gilgal. And Elisha says to them, well, okay, go. Now you notice that he doesn't say, let's us go. He says to them, essentially, you go, and they catch the gist because it's like, well, you're coming with us, right? I mean, aren't you coming with us? They didn't ask that for no reason. Aren't you coming with us? Well, all right. And so they head to the Jordan. 
and they begin the work. And the axe head on the tool being used by one of the sons of the prophet comes off the end of the handle and plunks and disappears into a deep hole in the Jordan River. I'm going to pause here to explain a little bit why that is a bigger deal than it seems to you and I. If, if you do the history thing at all, you will know that the period between prehistory and modern history is divided into three big basic categories. The Stone Age, the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age. And if you are reading, uh, many versions will inform you this was an iron axe head that flew into the river. The Iron Age was a big deal. Lots of advantages to iron tools and weapons. They are harder. They hold a better edge. It's uh, more efficient. They're more durable. Lots of advantages. The Iron Age didn't happen everywhere all at once like many technological advances in the world, particularly in the ancient world. It might start in small locations and kind of spread here and there. Uh, Historians agree that two people with whom we are familiar as readers of the Bible were the pioneers of the Iron Age, the Hittites and the Philistines, and that they tried to keep it to themselves. And it was fairly easy to do that for a while. Everybody could work gold and copper and tin and those kinds of things because they have a relatively low melting temperature. By relatively, I mean like 900 degrees, 1,000 degrees. Iron requires an extra five, 600 degrees to work. And that was a big, big jump in technology. Most of the really early iron pieces were taken from the core of meteors where the heat of passage through the atmosphere had accomplished the temperature that nobody knew how to do yet. But the Philistines knew, and the Hittites knew, and if you want to talk about the techniques, I've studied that a little bit, you can come and see me and I'll tell you what they did. But they knew, they knew how, and they kept it secret for as long as they could because it gave them a commercial advantage. They had something people wanted, and they were the only place you could get it. It gave them a military advantage, because the weapons that they could produce with iron were so superior to the relatively soft bronze weapons. If you read just in First Kings, the book before this, you will see this little bit of history played out in the Bible. The Philistines had all the blacksmiths and there were no blacksmiths allowed in Israel because they wanted to keep their iron technology to themselves. The beginning of the Iron Age is generally reckoned to be between 12 and 600 B.C. It took that long before it began to leak out. But once it leaked, it got everywhere. It got to Egypt, it got to China. And here, about 800 B.C., right smack in the middle of the early Iron Age, it has leaked from the Philistines to the Israelites enough that there is such a thing as an iron axe head available, which just a short time before this would not have been true for any contemporary Israelite of Elisha's. 
But you need to understand this context should inform you that that iron axe head was pricey. I have done research and here's the best that I can come up with. The iron axe head would have cost a man about a month's wages. So you figure up, it's Mark, whatever you make in a month. Josh, whatever you make in a month. Russ, whatever you make in a month. You figure that every penny of one month's wages is what it would take to buy such a thing as an iron axe head. And this one just flew off the end of the handle and disappeared under the water in the Jordan River. And now you will understand the perplexity and anguish of that man staring at his empty handle when he turns to Elisha and says, Alas, I borrowed it. It isn't even mine. This thing which cost a month's wages and just cursed blooshed into the river and sank to the bottom. I was so, so carried away by this project of getting down here and building us to do. I borrowed probably one of the only two or three iron axe heads that exist in Gilgal. And, I, and, and now I'm on the hook. Alas. It was borrowed. And Elisha says, well, show me the place where it fell in. And he does. And Elisha says, the problem is very simple. You throw a stick in the water. And the iron axe head floats to the surface. And you pick it out. Duh! Well, everybody knows that. I mean, this is a trick you've used before, right, Dan? You throw the stick in and whatever is iron on the bottom. Turns out that's not a trick that everybody knows. Matter of fact, it doesn't generally work this way. This is not physics. This is not chemistry. What's going on here? Well... It is, of course, the power of God extended through the ministry of Elisha to teach a lesson that needs to be learned by these particular people in this particular situation. Now, I have to summarize this real quick because you can't do everything in one sermon. But if you want to go through this with me, you come and we'll go through it all the verses so so that you'll have it down. If you read your Old Testament, you will understand that the branch is a general symbol for the servant of God. I'll give you the big one. Jesus Christ is the ultimate servant of God. And when you read the book of Zechariah and the prophecies of the coming Christ, he says, when my servant, the branch, comes, big day are going to happen. Trace backward from there and you will find that the branch is a constant symbol for the servant of God. The imagery is carried over in several of the things that Jesus says. Every kid who ever went through VBS knows this. He is the vine and we are the branches. The branches. 
and this thing that was worth so much but didn't belong to you just disappeared was lost beneath the surface of the Jordan. This is a lesson to men who want to get out of the crowded, wicked city of Gilgal where their work has been done among lost, idol worshipers to this point, who want to get off by themselves. And that which did not belong to you but was worth a lot became lost and the branch was thrown into the environment in which the lost is lost and the lost was raised. There's something going on here. The story ends so abruptly. And I don't know this, but I'm going to make an educated guess. That new hall never got built. I believe that it was probably back to Gilgal so that the work that God had put into the hearts of the sons of the prophets to do was carried on among the lost. And the man of God, the servant of God is cast into the environment in which the lost are lost so that the lost may be found. I believe this is the lesson that needs to be taught. And to us, I will just say this. We are surrounded by sunken axe heads. And I understand the temptation to get out of the sinful environment. But you know what we call that? We call it a momentary spiritual retreat. And the purpose of the retreat is so you can be charged up to go back into the environment where the lost are lost Help them become found. If our moment of retreat becomes the only Christian thing about us, we have totally missed the point. We must be the branch that is thrown on the water if the lost are going to be saved. As usual, I do not know exactly where everybody stands this morning. And it may be that what you need is encouragement and strength to be the branch. And it may be that you have landed more in the position of the axe head down in the murk and the muck. 
lost again. Whatever your need, I stand here today, and I say this humbly, but I stand here today as the man of God for this place and this hour. And I tell you that God will raise you up. You will be found. And I tell you that God will strengthen you and equip you. And you will be used in His kingdom. We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.